Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the Indo Daily. There's an old saying that goes like this if you're lucky enough to be Irish, well, you're lucky enough. Today on the Indo Daily, presidential plastic paddies are genuine fans of Ireland. Bigura and Bejesus, it's St. Patrick's Day in the White House. I'm uh, glad to be here. It took 115 years to make this trip, and 6,000 miles, and three generations. All the honors and gifts that have been afforded me as president, this visit is the one that I will cherish dearly. And if they keep on arguing with you, just respond with a simple creed. It's Fader Ling. Yes, we can. Today on the Indo Daily, with news of President Joe Biden's visit to Ireland next month, we're asking, are they presidential plastic patties or is there something in the White House water that makes leaders of the free world love the old sod? Senator Maloney, you've been covering presidential visits for more years than you might like to remember. <laughs> Obviously, it's a great day out for the Taoiseach of the day. Um, some might argue it's an even better day out for the hacks in the cavalcade. What is it like when you go over to America? Because there is this sense that Washington goes green, or is that just us inflating our own self-importance? No, it's true, because uh, there are more than 40 million Americans who claim direct genealogical connection to this country, and there's tens of millions more as St. Patrick's Day approaches. You know, Italians... (laughs) Uh, Germans, everybody else, Swedes, everybody piles in on the celebration because it fits nicely in the American um, political calendar as well. It's kind of a midterm before the uh, the summer recess. So they like to go on furlough, as, as, as they call it, because the Irish are here. And the Irish have this wonderful reputation worldwide for hospitality and for friendliness and for a little bit of indulgence. And so the Americans like to uh, to throw off their hats for for a moment, if not throw them in the air, and I, celebrate with us. I, I remember when I was a political correspondent, it was the golden ticket um, for the journalists, and in every newsroom, it was always um, a, you could almost say row. I think over who <laughs> got to go on the trip to America because the access you get is phenomenal. And it's not just that meeting in the Oval Office. It's everything Uh, you get. Like one of the best experiences of my life has been driven around in Barack Obama's cavalcade, like whizzed through the streets of Washington. (laughs) And you're kind of looking and there's people waving at you because they think you're somebody, but actually you're you're just Kevin Doyle from Offaly who happened to somehow land himself. And and I don't know, I don't know what you were doing in a procession of horses because that's what a cavalcade (laughs) is. It's the motorcade these days. There used to be perhaps the uh, Freeman's Journal was going in a cavalcade in the 19th century. But yeah, you're right. And you're right. You're cheek by jowl with with power and you're, you're beside 
the, uh, some of the most famous people in the world. I had to tell Steve Bannon to shove over one time when we finally poured into the uh, into the Oval Office, and I can be a bit of a scrum. There is, I have to tell you, there's nothing to compare with being in the Oval Office in front of the Resolute Desk for the first time. It's just draw dropping. Um, some journalists have been caught once or twice taking selfies of themselves, you know, and there was a memorable headline uh, on broadsheet.ie saying, it's not about you. <laughs> with a, with a, with a <laughs> that was neither, of, neither of us, we yeah. should clarify for the record. But I do remember uh, my first time, I know you went with Bertie, you were there with Enda. Um, Brian Cowan, of course. Brian yeah. Cowan. My first time was with Brian Cowan and I do remember going into the Oval Office and it's a scrum. Your elbows out to get yeah. the best position around the couch. And uh, at the time, I think Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. She was there. You had Obama. You had Joe Biden. You had a few Irish dignitaries whose names we didn't even bother to write down with our pencils. But I remember going in and trying to take notes of everything that was said and then kind of momentarily catching myself and going, hold on a second, I'm standing in the Oval Office and you kind of look around you. Is it like that for the Taoiseachs, Taoiseach of the day as well? Because they don't get that sort of treatment at home or where they go anywhere else. No, it's true. And um, it, it must be a huge thrill for um, for Taoiseach, particularly the, the first time. It definitely, there's a big, there's a huge drop when you're doing it a second time or, or, or a third time. But the first time experience is unbelievable. So, you know, Taoiseach would have been, um, you know, supplied with a, a Waterford crystal bowl of shamrock and so on. And must have been thinking, wow, I'm really doing this. You know, I may be from Cork or from Mayo or from Dublin, but I'm actually presenting shamrock to the most powerful person in the world uh, and that is absolutely the case and then to uh, then it's a bit of a relief I guess after you've had your talks and gone carefully to your speaking notes supplied to you by the Department of Foreign Affairs to sit down in the armchairs uh, and exchange a few words with the press now sometimes the scrum gets even worse because um, depending on what's going on on the hill Capitol Hill if there's a, a controversial uh, piece of legislation going through or something has happened overnight you'll not only get the Irish press going in but you'll get Americans going in there to throw questions about the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act or whatever the case may be and the Irish are, are intent on asking when are you going to come back to the, the old sod and it's as simple as that isn't it that generally is the big Irish question I know when Trump was there there was a bit of Brexit thrown in uh, for just to complicate matters and make things a bit awkward <laughs> for, for the Taoiseach I think I remember I remember you um, <laughs> shouting a question which Enda Kenny didn't like very much. That's right. I had a bit of a two for one ready. And when we got in, there was Enda thrilled to be in the presence of greatness. And uh, Donald J. Trump is a big man. I mean, Steve Bannon is also a very big man who I happen to be alongside and who gave me a, an elbow in the ribs when I asked this question. But uh, I put it to uh, Trump, who was sitting there like a silverback gorilla because he's huge and he leans forward. I said, uh, Mr. President, the man beside you said your policies were racist and dangerous. What say you? So that was a, a moment of stillness in, in, in the hubbub. But it was great from our point of view because one way or the other, we were going to get a story out of that. Uh, but And Trump's jaw jutted forward, you know, in annoyance at the question. And he finally turned, not to me, but to the teacher beside him and said, is he one of yours? Mm, scolding for Zenon. It is. It isn't. It isn't a day about that kind of thing, though. Generally, it is all backslapping, and they go up to Capitol Hill for their lunch, and there's speeches and every paddy whackery top of the morning, and the rest of the day to you, and pints of Guinness, hurrah, kind of stuff to it. But Lynn Kelleher, author of the Green and White and uh, the Green and White House, and journalist, there is a seriousness to all of this because we are unique. 
other countries don't get that sort of access to the White House, do they? No, I looked at the figures there recently and we've had 53 visits to the US by foreign leaders, 54 if you count um, President Kennedy's funeral. But, you know, places like um, Belarus, where Belarus only had one and Barbados would have six, um, just a few figures here. Belgium would have 23. Like we've Brazil, for instance, has had 34 and it's 120 times the size of Ireland, you know, and a much, much bigger economic power. So obviously England and Canada would have maybe over 100 visits. But for our size, we, we you know, we get more than Poland, Sweden, Switzerland only has three. So. And the other thing is it's a standing date um, for the last 20 years or so. You know, it's it's every single year. Um, is anything achieved, Lynn? Because you heard myself and Senan talking about the, the lived experience of it. I mean, the day starts at the Naval Observatory now, which is the, the vice president's house for breakfast. And like, there's the lovely speeches and then it's the, the Oval Office. And the meeting actually is probably only about half an hour between the president and the Taoiseach. Like, is anything actually achieved or is it really just a day out for everybody? Well, it's, I suppose it's all about access and connection and it gives them a chance, obviously, during the peace process, they were broaching that. But they'd also, I interviewed Bertie Hearn for the book and our famous corporation tax rate. He, he said he wouldn't have got that um, passed without bringing that up in the Oval Office and kind of doing a, a delicate uh, talk around that. And it's it's called soft power. So he said, well, you know, if the IDA wanted, had any issues, he would be able to bring it up in the office at, at that time. And obviously, of course, the peace process and, um, would have been a, a huge thing during those meetings. But it's an access and it's every single year. So each um, Taoiseach will meet the, the US president of the day so it's extraordinary. He said he said the European leaders at the time would have been absolutely astounded at our access and, and envious of it. And take us back to the start then, Lynn, because I think it was Albert Reynolds who kind of made it a formal annual event. But there was kind of a few attempts at pushing that door open going back into the 80s and maybe even a bit earlier. Yeah, it was the, the historically the first um origin of it was when the US, the Irish ambassador to the US, John Hearn, sent a bowl of shamrocks to President Truman in 1952 to mark St. Patrick's Day. And then the following year was the first uh, visit from uh, Prime Minister Costello. And then over the years, um, you know, you would have had various, Charlie Hawley would have been there, Garrett Fitzgerald would have been there during the Reagan era. era. But it didn't, it, it wasn't, it hasn't become a standing date um, until during the, the Clinton era, era and on that. And it's it's interesting that President Bush continued it on and President Trump. So it's, it, and it's not just the meeting with the president and the Taoiseach, as you said, it's the, the vice president has a uh, St. Patrick's Day lunch. And then there's that annual lunch on Capitol Hill, which I think started with Tip O'Neill and Reagan as well. So there's, there's lots of different parts to it. Thank you very much, Mr. Prime Minister, uh, for the beautiful gift, the beautiful Irish crystal. I hope the shamrocks will bring us the luck of the Irish over the next few months. But Senan, there has, through the years, been a sense that some presidents valued it more than most. So... Uh, I recall, obviously, Clinton, it was a big thing. It was a particular moment in history, I guess, around what was happening in, in Northern Ireland. Um, there was always that sense that perhaps George W. wasn't as as into it. Yeah. Um, just one other point in, uh, in relation to what Lynn is saying. Um, 
the importance of the visit was not just the, the, the soft power, of course, because during the, the times of troubles in Ireland, we had a very serious mission, not only to talk to the president, but also to talk to those on Capitol Hill, the Friends of Ireland, people of that nature, about, um, you know, about the real situation in Northern Ireland. And sometimes to, con- to, um, to counter British propaganda, which was a very large machine, let's be honest, but also the propaganda of Sinn Féin, which had a very listening ear in the United States. And we were countering this perception that, um, that, that the South was you know, allied with the push for Northern Ireland, as many people saw it. And we wanted to counteract. Uh, I think we got that message across uh, with Clinton. Of course, he did have a genuine affection, as his wife Hillary did, for uh, for Ireland. And far more doubtful um, in the case of George W. Uh, Bush, because he had his focus was elsewhere. He was a, a Texan, of course. His uh, he was from a very preppy family. His his own father had been a director of the CIA, but had you know very waspy uh, links to use that to use that phrase, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. So he wasn't quite in tune with the with the Irish having come over in the middle of the nineteenth century and all that sort of bitter Catholic experience. So he was a little bit divorced from reality, and in a way, so too was Obama, despite his his vaunted links to. <laughs> well, Lynn, tell me about Obama because. He didn't really know about his inverted commas Irishness until he became president. But he did say something about having ho- wished that he knew about it sooner, which I think kind of hinted at the idea that there is a political gain in all of this for certain politicians in America if they can present themselves as Irish American. And when I was running for president, it was brought to my attention that I want to make sure I get this straight. It was my great, 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 great grandfather on my mother's side who hailed from Moneygall. I wish I knew about this when I was running in Chicago. Yeah, his roots were, were discovered by Megan Smilenyak. She's a genealogist with um, Ancestry.com and Who Do You Think You Are? So she was going back and it was, it was difficult enough to find his roots. He hadn't a clue about them. Um, she found these carnies in Ohio um, and, and it was actually through a gravestone that they they had mentioned Moneygall was up on the gravestone and she eventually traced it back to famously to Moneygall. So he he found out about them at that stage. And, and I think he was quite interested in his background because he, he of course, uh, grew up in Hawaii and his, his father was from Africa and he had gone back to Africa to find out his roots. So it, actually, when I, I spoke to um, Henry Healy, his cousin, about his visit to Moneygall, he said, you know, that when he went into the homestead away from the cameras that he got quite emotional about it. It was, certainly was a surprise to him. She would say, um, the genealogist, interestingly, um, I suppose the thing about the voting block over the years was it was seen back at the, you know, um, in the early days in the, the 1900s or the, you know, the early 20th century, that it was a voting block and it was democratic, that the Irish very much were signed up by the Democratic Party. But then as they moved up through the social strata, they, they became, you know, Republican as well. Like during Reagan was supposed to be the first president who would have harnessed the Irish American vote for the Republican uh, Party. So it, it's much more diluted now as people have intermarried and, and there isn't as such an Irish voting bloc. But I suppose it is, there's a relatability there. If you're in Ohio and then, you know, you have Irish roots and you find out that President Obama has Irish roots. You know, there's definitely relatability because there's, you know, an estimated 32 million. Everybody in America has some kind of an immigrant past. And the truth of it, Senan, is if we, we love to be cynical and call them plastic paddies and all the rest of it. But we do also want them 
to to give us a little bit of love, a little bit of hug. And and like one of the games <laughs> that the journalists on these trips often played, uh, and it's something we played a bit during COVID with with Tishig as well, but was the poetry game. As Yates put it, because I had to <laughs> quote an Irish poet, and Seamus Haney was taken. <laughs> Think where man's glory most begins and ends, and say my glory was I had such friends. You know, I can't let a comic go by without quoting an Irish poet. <laughs> Obama obviously was great for that. Biden uh, seems to be an encyclopedia on Irish, po- Irish poets, but it goes all the way back to Clinton uh, even loved a bit of poetry. Yeah, even in, in fact, Reagan would 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 often quote Irish uh, poets. So it started off as Yeats, really. He was he was the main man, um, and he was never uh, far from Reagan's lips when he came over on his famous ancestral return home to Ballyporeen, the town of the little potatoes, as we remember. Well, he couldn't make that stuff up. I mean, the American networks lapped it up, and every time um, the Irish requests fall on willing ears, and an American president comes here, of course, it's wall to wall schmaltz in the United States in the broadcast and the the incumbent president tends to do it in a year or two before they go for re-election so they do it in their first term so I quite expect Joe Biden to be in Ireland uh, very shortly in relation to the the poetry yes and it's become a bit of a a guessing game uh, amongst the hacks particularly at at the uh, events that necklace the famous Shamrock Summit in, in the White House such as the Ireland Funds Dinner or uh, events like that, and um, we wait to we we play our bingo and we wait to hear either Yeats or sing, maybe a bit of Joyce. <laughs> Sometimes uh, you get uh, way you get reference to Bram Stoker and so on. But the big one these days is Seamus Heaney. I want to say that uh, I do love Seamus Heaney's poetry, and I love what he quoted that I quoted. I actually wrote a book in nineteen ninety six and. Cribbed words in of hope and history. But you know, he's done better than having me quote his lines. He's done better than winning the Nobel Prize. He's actually managed to make Beowulf interesting. Of course, the that's the easy stuff when it's when it's nice and it's flowery and everybody is 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 loving each other and, and a bit of shambrook quackery and all the rest of it. But when Donald Trump got into the White House, it did make things a lot more difficult. And there was a lot of talk about how Enda Kenny would handle that. You, you made your reference to your own incident with the, the pair of them in the Oval Office. But Enda Kenny actually made more of a global stomp than most world leaders actually did with a speech that he made in the Oval Office on the night of that particular visit. Ireland came to America because deprived of liberty, deprived of opportunity, of safety, of even food itself, the Irish believed. And four decades before Lady Liberty lifted her lamp, we were the wretched refuse on the teeming shore. I mean, Senna, that was seen as pretty brave from Enda Kenny at the time because... I'm not sure. I remember being in the room that night and some of it did seem to go over Trump's head. But that clip was watched tens of millions of times. And I remember the people in government buildings in Dublin were a bit annoyed that the Irish media didn't seem to make as big a deal out of it 
as some in America and in the UK, it was seen as a slapdown of Trump's immigration policy. Absolutely it was, because uh, Trump had been emphasising America first, you know, America only. And that had, and of course, he was going to build his wall to keep people out. So that was uh, his uh, big situation. And he had, stories were coming out about, you know, about nasty references to, uh, to, to people he had referred to cold countries as being toilets, effectively. Um, and so this was a corrective from our Taoiseach. I mean, it was it was brave of him to do it. But Enda has a bit of steel underneath all that sort of velvet. Um, and uh, he had also had a famous um, Gallic spat, uh, as uh, as you will recall, um, with the with, with the French um, over the Irish uh, corporation tax rate. You know, so he had sent uh, Sarkozy off with the flea in his ear. So Ender was very good at that, but he was in his element in the United States, particularly when he was meeting community. Because Ender played or, uh, the paddy whackery stuff very well. He he was able to work a room and and do all that. But Lynn, tell me about Joe Biden, because if Obama was faking it to make it, Biden is obsessed with his Irishness and has been long before he was ever a politician that was on our radar. There are clips of him going back to nearly the days of black and white where he's quoting poets. There is. And um, I, I was looking through his speeches. I, I found Yates popped up in a, in a speech in Mumbai, of all places. And uh, he was quoted in Beijing in another speech. So it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be in Ireland. Yet they, they did, the diplomats would kind of, they would say some, some of the presidents like JFK would have been um, having an emotional detachment and he very much wasn't practical for, for Ireland. He rebuffed any request to talk about partition. And someone like Clinton obviously was was the most practical and got the peace process. But they would say that Joe Biden is a combination of the two. He is very, very attached to his Irish roots and he's said to be five eighths. Irish. And he's also, he can nearly quote you the Good Friday Agreement. He's highly informed on Irish affairs. So he's, he's, that's why I think they call him the most Irish of all the presidents, because he is, he is highly informed and emotionally attached. And he was, uh, I read another speech there because he was talking about his connections to Rob Carney and down in New Zealand. And he um, said that he'd come over to Ireland as a young senator on a tour to watch the All Blacks play Ireland. I'm sure we didn't win any of the matches, but you know he—that—that's he, as far back as as his interest would be. Um, and when he came in, he came on a six-day visit then in 2016, and that was very emotional for him because it was it was planned with his son Bo, and then his son had tragically died, and they were they had planned to do it as a family after his mother had died, who had the Irish connections, and they were going to come over as a family and look up their roots. So they would have um, people I spoke to who were with him on that visit would have said it was kind of like a leave-taking for him. He went to Ballina, and then he had these newly found relatives in the Cooley Peninsula. Um, uh, which with current Rob Carney would be one of them, and there's lots of Finnegans, and there's there's no other new relatives that have been discovered now in Galway Bay. If he returns for a visit, he can uh, he'll probably end up going to Galway Bay. But yeah, he was he was, and he came back then the following year in 2017 in a hire car, drove himself up to the pub in the Cooley Peninsula. Lily Finnegans went back in and had you know spoke more to relatives about his roots and went down to Dublin and had dinner with Rob Kearney. And so it's a very genuine connection. So St. Patrick's Day this year and for the next uh, two years with Joe Biden there, Lynn, is probably as Irish as the White House is ever going to get, probably since the days of JFK. Is that a, a fair comparison? 
Absolutely. And I think even when during um, President Obama's time, he was, you know, hosting these St. Patrick's Day lunches. And if you talk to Henry Healy and Ollie Hayes, he was always, you know, saying to them to to tell Obama to let him go over to Ireland for a visit. So he's he's hugely into it. President Clinton seemed to be hugely into it as well. I mean, he, he I think Bertie O'Hearn seems to have gone over 14 times. I think some of that was with Bush, but he had a huge amount of Irish politicians there. And I think one of his last St. Patrick's Day, there was, you know, John Hume. They were singing songs. They were quoting Seamus Heaney was there. They were quoting poetry. Um, and then it seemed to get much more stayed with President Bush. But yeah, President Biden will be, you know, tr- throwing open the doors and welcoming in the Irish with open arms. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Neve Dunn and Kieran Dunbar, recorded by John Smith with sound design by Gavin Hennessy. If you enjoyed the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.